just a quick review. And uh, so our Sabbath school lesson this week was about the church and education. And I was kind of smiling as we looked at it because uh, this is going to feel a little bit more like education uh, than a sermon, but I, I'm hoping that we leave here with a new insight about judgment, justice, and mercy in the eyes of God. Um, the three points that are reviewed from the first part of this, and that is the prayers of God's people are heard. When you pray, your prayers come up before the very throne of God. There's not a question about it. God hears your prayers. The second point is these prayers actually cause God to act. Um, Many of you are familiar with that quotation that says, the prayer of faith moves the arm of omnipotence. God moves because of prayer. And we see that uh, as in this story of this vision of the seven trumpets. And then the last one, the trumpets are the intervention of God in history. God is intervening in the history of the world. Um, the Bible is chock full of stories showing the judgments of God on those who are oppressors. Um, the list includes, but is not limited to, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, the Midianites, the Philistines, the Amalekites, and many more. Interesting enough, God did not often intervene to keep them from trial, but often intervened when they were in the midst of trial. He allowed slash used the oppressors to teach his own people the results of trying to live on their own without him. But when they turned to him, as they almost always eventually did, God accepted them and moved on their behalf against their oppressors. In fact, many of the books of the Old Testament are written in whole or in part, I'm thinking of the prophetic books, as judgments on the oppressors of God's people. And some of those would be Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Nahum, Zephaniah. These are books written by the Spirit of God against the oppressors of his people. Does God care about this? Absolutely. In fact, there's other books that are not prophetic books, but, or we would call them prophetic books, but also included Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, etc. So this theme of God bringing uh, a judgment on the oppressors of his people is throughout the Bible. This is nothing new. It's not like, okay, let's dream this up and do it in Revelation. This is the common theme throughout. And if, you, if we look at this, we must remember that One, we are reading the book of Revelation, as we are going to be doing today. Revelation is based in whole or in part, most of, two-thirds of its verses, from the Old Testament. So understanding what's happening in the Old Testament is a key for me in interpreting what's taking place in Revelation. Um, My daughter asked me a great question this morning. I think it was this morning. And the question was, How in the world, uh, why do we have this picture of a person eating a book and it's sweet in their mouth and bitter in their stomach? I mean, who would eat a book? Great question, right? Um, I could think of some insects that like to eat books, but not humans. And so I draw her attention to a text I'd like to draw your attention to again, and that's Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1. 
The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, which things must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to a servant, John. God signified the, the words that are in the book of Revelation. He signified it, if I were just to make it in simple English, or the word there in Greek means to use a symbol to express a, a real thing. Uh, when you see a red light, it's a sign that you should stop. It doesn't say stop, but it means stop. And so when we see some of the things in Revelation, it's not necessarily the red light that we're supposed to pay attention to. It's the stop that we're supposed to pay attention to. And we'll see that as we go into our study here of the seven trumpets. Um, I don't have it. Do I have any? I have one fourth grader here. Any third graders? Remember when you had those secret codes? And you wrote a secret code, you know, if I write this symbol, it's an A, and this symbol is a B, and this symbol, right? And then you had your own secret alphabet. And so everyone in the same class could share, or the same club could share notes between each other, and you could know what the note said with your secret alphabet. Anyone do that? So I'm the only one who did that. Well, glad to know. You know where my imagination comes from. And we could do that, and we had our own group. Well, here, God is signifying but he's writing in such a way that every Christian who's familiar with the Old Testament can know exactly what he's saying because they have the key to understanding it, and that is the Old Testament. So as we're reading this, uh, we're going to keep that in mind. All right, what we're seeing in the seven trumpets is actually words and language that are throughout the Old Testament used in judgment against the oppressors of God's people. I'll repeat that. The signs that we're seeing in the seven trumpets are words and language that are used throughout the Old Testament in discussing judgments against the oppressors of God's people. So with that in mind, I'd like to ask you a question. How should God treat oppressors? <clears throat> Let's not answer that. How should God treat oppressors? I heard that last week, as they deserve. Thank you, Theo. Any other thoughts? How should God treat oppressors? You know I'm about to say something, so you're waiting on this, right? What if you were the oppressor? What? We're not oppressors. They are oppressors. Whoever they are, they're the oppressors. We're not the oppressors. So God, give it to them. What if you were the oppressor? Should you receive the judgment that you desire others to receive? Is there mercy in connection with God's judgment on oppressors? Yes. And we're going to see that God has built that in in such a beautiful way here in our first four trumpets. Actually, it's all of them, but the ones we'll be looking at today. So let's look at our first trumpet. If you turn with me, we're going to go through this a little classroom style. Verse 7, Revelation chapter 8. I'm going to start with verse 6. So the seven angels, and thank you, Grace, for reading our scripture reading today. So the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed. As soon as I see hail and fire, my, my curiosity peaks a little bit because I've seen this before in the Old Testament. Mingled with blood. 
and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. I like to look at hail and fire, one-third in trees as I go through this. Because this is not a college classroom and I'm not spending an hour on each one, this is going to be an abbreviated course, but please follow through with me the best we can. The first trumpet and the second trumpet, I'm going to go through step-by-step step explaining how I got what I got. The third and fourth, I'm going to say, God bless you in your study. I'm going to explain the big picture, but I'm sure you will do some additional research. Okay? So let's look at this. Um, hail and fire. Where do we see hail and fire being used in the Bible? I heard someone say it, and then I, then I didn't. Sodom and Gomorrah, that's right. We see the, the brimstone, right, falling down on Sodom and Gomorrah. Was there another place where we see hail being used as a judgment on those who are oppressors of God's people? Egypt, that's right. In fact, in Egypt, when the hail fell down, it says fire sprang along the ground. So you, have the, you definitely have that. There's some other places as well. Let's look at um, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 30 and 31. I put some up on the screen for the sake of time, so that can go a little bit more rapidly. If you're taking notes, please do so. Um, enjoy, but this will help a little bit. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 30 and 31. It says, The Lord will cause his glorious voice to be heard and show the descent of his arm, with the indignation of his anger and the flame of devouring fire with scattering, tempest, and hailstones. That's verse 30. Who's God speaking to here? Who's being talked about here? Verse 31 says, For through the voice of the Lord, Assyria will be beaten down as he strikes with the rods. So God is here speaking of punishment on Assyria. Assyria was an enemy of God's people. Here's another one. Ezekiel chapter 38. I will call for a sword against Gog. This is another enemy of God's people. Throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God, I will rain down on him, on his troops, and on the many peoples that are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire, and brimstone. You again see clearly, what is God using in judgment on these oppressors of God's people? Hail. And both places you see fire connected with it. It's part of the, can I say arsenal? of God and judgment on oppression. Um, all right, and there is, uh, there is more to this. Um, Psalms chapter 18, David speaks about this as well. So what about this phrase one-third? What is the purpose of bringing up one-third? Let's look at a few Bible passages on this one. Ezekiel chapter 5 and verse 12. God speaking to his own people says this. One-third of you shall die of the pestilence and be consumed with famine in your midst, and one-third shall fall by the sword all around you, and I will scatter another third to all the winds, and I will draw out a sword after them. So is this a blessing text? Does this sound like a blessing text to you? This is a judgment text. So when I see a third here is being used in a judgment setting, it's actually being used on God's own people, which is kind of an interesting scenario here. Uh, we find a similar concept in Zechariah chapter 13. You will notice a lot of the verses I'm sharing with you are actually from prophetic books in the Old Testament. Uh, these are the judgment books. Here's another one. It shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. Who is this speaking about? Zechariah 13. Anyone want to take a guess? God's people. 
So there's judgment on God's people. And let me rephrase this. Judgment on God's professed people. Would that be a fair way of saying it? Because if there's judgment on them, maybe they're not his people individually, but as a professed country. Um, I like to, do I have uh, something else? Yes, before we go to trees, I'm going to come back. Uh, can I have three volunteers? All right, Steve, thank you. Thank you, Theo. If you can keep your mask on because you're going to be up here on stage with me. Can you come to this side, Theo? Steve, can you come here? All right. And Rad, we'll put you in the center if that's okay. I'm just going to come down here that way. I'm, well, I guess this is not, I'll stay right here. I want to be fair. So we have three here. And, uh, okay. Steve has volunteered to be the third. Judgment takes place, and Steve is removed from judgment. Again, he's a good friend of mine. This is not an indication of God's thinking, of course. How much is left on the stage? Is that hopeful or discouraging? Let me try that again. Is that hopeful or discouraging? Depends if you're Steve or if you're Rad or Theo. Is that fair? Okay, thank you, gentlemen. But if you're Rad or Theo, is that hopeful or discouraging? If you're Steve, it'd be discouraging. But for if you're Rad or Theo, it's a hopeful thing. When there's the two-thirds left, if I can say it this way, God is showing mercy. God is showing mercy if he only removes one-third. Because in theory, based upon what we're looking at here, biblically speaking, all three are oppressors. But one-third suffer the judgment. Why would the other two-thirds not suffer judgment? What would the reason be? Other than mercy. Because mercy is correct. Other than mercy. Yes, George. You know, I'm going to play on that. George says so they can be educated and see. And I'm going to add to that so that they can, after they're educated and see, so they can repent. Let's look at the end of the seven trumpets. Uh, Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9. And let's look at verse 20. Revelation chapter 9 and verse 20. So we've had, that's not the end, that's the end of the sixth trumpet. So we have one, two, three, four, five, six trumpets take place, then this verse happens. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not, what's the next word? They did not repent of their works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And then it says in verse 21, and they did not, what's that word? Repent of their murders or their sorcerers or their sexual immorality or their thefts. The very fact that the Bible comments and the rest did not repent tells me that God wanted them to and left them opportunity to repent, but they did not. The purpose two-thirds are left is for repentance. That's why God does it. So when you see the seven trumpets and you see the word a third, you're going to see it used in the first trumpet, in the second trumpet, in the third trumpet, in the fourth trumpet, and I believe it's the sixth trumpet as well. The reason is for repentance. And I call that mercy. Okay? Um, all right. 
what is a tree mean? So we, we, have, we have hail and fire are used in judgment of the oppressors of God's people. We have a third, which shows that part of the oppressors are going to receive that judgment, but part of the oppressors are going to be given a chance to repent. Now we look at this next point here, and that is trees. Let's just, um, what's a tree in the Bible? Some of you may already know this. It's a symbol of what? We like symbols. Life is a symbol of life, but oftentimes, in addition to that, specifically kind of life, it's a human being. Uh, David said, Psalm 52, verse 8, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. This isn't David, but I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. He goes, the psalmist is saying, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. Psalms chapter 1 says, those that are godly are like a tree planted by the streams of living water. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 and 8 says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord, for he shall be like a what? Tree planted by the waters and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. A tree is one who trusts in God. But wait a minute, there's a problem then with what I'm sharing. Hail and fire fall on those who are oppressors of God's people. Yes, it's, it's judgment on oppressors of God's people. And we saw the one-third, and actually one-third is used in language of judgment against God's people. And one-third's left and two-thirds, I mean, one-third dies and two-thirds is left. But trees, hail and fire destroying trees, but trees are God's people? Is that confusing? It can be. Let's look at something here. You ready? Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 46 to 48. Son of man, set your face toward the south. Say to the forest of the south, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God. Behold, I will kindle a fire in you, and it shall devour every green tree and every dry tree in you. Who is Ezekiel speaking to? The children of Israel. He's using them calling them trees, and fire will be kindled in you. Did anyone else use this kind of language? Yes, Jesus himself. If you remember, um, I missed that. There it is. Jesus, he is going on his way to Calvary. He is following his cross. The women of Jerusalem have gathered together, and they're weeping and crying. And he turns and says, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For if they do these things in the greenwood, who's he referring to? Himself. What will be done in the dry? Who's he referring to? The Jerusalem and the children of Israel. Okay. Um, let's see if we can work this out. Hail and fire, God's weapons. Specifically on judgment of professor of judgment of oppressors, one third is a portion is for judgment and also shows mercy. Now this trees, I added the phrase here: God's professed people, based upon the context that we get from Ezekiel, and also we see what Jesus is saying. With that being said, here's a summary: the first trumpet judgment is pronounced on the nation of Israel as persecutors of Christians. 
Who were the heaviest persecutors of Christians in the first years of the Christian church? It was the Jewish nation. It was the Jewish nation. This is most graphically seen, this judgment, in the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 by the armies of Rome under the general Titus. Fascinating. I'm not giving specific details, but you see this big picture that's here. Let's look at our next one. Second trumpet. Let's read it together. Revelation chapter 8 and starting with verse 8. Then the second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. A few things we're going to point out here. Burning mountain, one third, which we've already seen as judgment and mercy and the word sea. Okay, first judgment, trumpet. Let's look at the second one. What is this burning mountain? First, what are mountains connected with? Uh, in Isaiah chapter 41, mountains are discussing enemy nations. I'm going to beat and thresh the mountains. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 35, verses 3 and 4, it speaks of this oppressive mountain. And it's speaking of Edom, an enemy of God's people. But I think one of the most interesting ones that comes to is actually found in Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 24 to 25. It says this, And I will repay Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea for all the evil they have done in Zion in your sight, says the Lord. Behold, I am against them. Who are we speaking about here? Babylonians or the Chaldeans, right? The same, the same name is used. Behold, I am against you. And what's the next phrase? O destroying mountain. I'm against you, O destroying mountain, who destroys all the earth, says the Lord. And I will stretch out my hand against you, roll down, you down from the rocks and make you what kind of a mountain? A burnt mountain. Who is being discussed here in Jeremiah chapter 31? Babylon right? Let's just go back. The verse before says, I'm going to repay Babylon and the inhabitants of Chaldea. He says, you're a destroying mountain. I'm going to make you like a burnt mountain. He's speaking about what country again? Babylon. Very interesting. Then it goes on and it says this. The sea has come up over Babylon. She is covered with a multitude of its waves. So here's the picture. Babylon in Jeremiah 51 is this burnt mountain that's going to go into the ocean and be covered by its waves. This is the same exact phraseology that's being used in Revelation chapter 8. It says the burnt mountain will be thrown into the sea. If you're thrown into the sea, you'll be covered by that sea. In fact, uh, the last verse uh, that I would mention here, and let me just make sure I have it, Verse 63 and 64, which I don't have on the screen, but you can write this down. 63 and 64, it says, Babylon will sink and not rise again. Babylon will sink and not rise again. So this is speaking of a destruction that is ultimate with a third of the sea being affected. All right. Uh, oh, by the way, who is Babylon. Did you know that there was a place that the early Christian church called Babylon? The early Christian church had a special place on the globe they called Babylon. And it wasn't in Iraq. You ready? If you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. This gives you the language, but it will not necessarily tell you the place, but you will be able to make the inference 
quite clearly. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 13. 1 Peter 5.13 says, She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you. And so does Mark, my son. He's speaking of a lady who lives in a place called Babylon. And no, this is not talking about Iraq. It's talking about Rome. Rome was the Babylon of Peter and John's day. Without a question, they knew where Babylon was. It was Rome, and I'm speaking of their literal day. I'm not talking about Babylon and prophecy here. I'm speaking about the early Christian church. When they said Babylon, they're speaking about Rome. They knew it. So it's interesting here. We have this connection, Babylon being connected with Rome, and so we use a prophecy directly from the Old Testament, which talks about Babylon. What is a sea symbol of? That's right, but the wicked are like the troubled sea which it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. The wicked are like the troubled sea. All right, let me just summarize this. Burning mountain, Babylon or Rome. One-third again, dealing with judgment and mercy. And the sea being those who are wicked. If I were to summarize this for us, what seven trumpets extend from the time of John through to the end of time, just like the seven seals in the seven churches. So I'm walking through time. I go through the first stage of oppressors, and that is the Jewish church persecuting the Christians, and God brings judgment on them. Who is the next group of people who bring oppression on God's people? It is Rome, pagan Rome, right? Under Nero, am I right? And so they're the next ones who are now receiving judgment. This series of seven trumpets is showing judgment on the oppressors of God's people. They're the next group of people. So simply put, the second trumpet is judgment on the pagan Roman Empire, a power that was unusually cruel to Christians. Uh, This was largely accomplished in the 8400s by the Vandals, Goths, and Huns. All right, ready? Third trumpet. So here's what we've done. We've gone from the Jewish people who had persecuted and, and judgment on the oppressor. Then we've gone to pagan Rome and judgment the oppressor. What is the next oppressor? Who are the next major oppressors of God's true people? It's the medieval Roman church. But let's just look at our study here. Great star. Oh, can we read it? Revelation chapter 8 and starting with verse 8. No, verse 10. Thank you, brother. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died. Many men died from the water because it was made bitter. All right, great star, rivers, and waters. I do not have these texts listed out. Because I knew at this point, we will go through a few page-turning ourselves as we bring together these final two trumpets. Ready? Okay. What are stars in the Bible? What are stars in the Bible? Angels. That's right. We see it throughout the whole Bible. We see angels being used for stars. We could find this in Job 38, verses 4 through 7. Please turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. While you're turning Revelation 12... Uh, Revelation 1, we see angels being called stars. Um, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 4. Revelation 12, verse 4. 
says, his tail, speaking of the dragon, drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them down to the earth. So how many stars were thrown down? A third. Instantly, when I see the word third, what am I thinking of? Judgment, right? Instantly, now we see this, this, this connection. It's making sense here. A third of the stars are judged. They're being cast down to the earth. But who are these stars being cast to the earth? Let's look at verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world, and he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Oh, stars and angels. Got it. Um, you could also look in some other places. But who is a great angel that fell down from heaven? Does the Bible talk about that? It does. Luke chapter 10, verse 18. Luke 10, 18. Jesus says, And I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. So there is definitely some connection. Now, this is where I'm going to get myself in a little bit of trouble. I'm openly uh, sharing this, if that's okay. Um, those of you who are students of prophecy already may be raising your eyebrows at me. And that's okay. I raise my eyebrows at myself. As I've studied the trumpets for a long time, I've struggled with this. Oftentimes, we use different prophetic interpretation on the trumpets than we do anywhere else. Anywhere else, I say, okay, what's a dragon a symbol of? Well, you could say a dragon is a symbol of China, right? But that's not what it means in the Bible. But when we get to this section, I've heard people say, hail, oh, hail. Um, there was this attacker who came and attacked Rome, and he was like a hailstorm. So that must have been him. How do you get that? Using Bible, interpreting Bible. The great star. Some people claim to be a general. But in the Bible, a star is a symbol of who? Stars, most of the time. And a great star falling sounds a lot like Lucifer and not a general of a pagan army. Does it make sense? So you're seeing what we're doing. We're trying to use the Bible to interpret itself. By the way, this great star didn't fall from the Alps. It fell from heaven. So understanding some of these things helps us say, okay, this is what's letting the Bible interpret itself. Who's the great star that fell from heaven? That'd be Lucifer. Then it says this, and burning like a torch, oh, I'm sorry, I've got a picture here. It falls upon the rivers and the springs of water. Falling on the rivers and springs of water. Um, what is this talking about? You ready for a quick Bible study? You say we've been in one for a while already. Okay, it's not much longer. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 14. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 14. I find this fascinating, okay? We are like detectives, and we're using some clues and finding out what is being used here. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 14. I found that I'm turning much slower now that the Bible's in my hand. Proverbs 13 and verse 14. What is water or fountain being described here? The law of the wise is a fountain of life. Okay, let's look at another one. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. Jeremiah chapter 2, 
in verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So we have the words, the law of the wise is a fountain. We have um, here in Jeremiah 2.13, Jesus, or me, is described as the fountain of living waters. What does Jesus describe himself as? Those who believe in me and my word will be have in them a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. So when you and I are looking at fountains and rivers, the connection is almost always with life and spiritual truth. Life and spiritual truth. So when you have Lucifer coming down and hitting sources of life and spiritual truth, what does this mean? Hold on. What's the next thing that we read in Revelation chapter 8? He fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. There's a reason for that name. A third of the waters became wormwood, and many died from the water because it was made bitter. This is the Greek word, absinthus. Absinthus. It is, uh, let me get this here for you. It's a group of very bitter herbs that, though not poisonous, actually has poisonous effects oftentimes connected with them. The word wormwood is used in several places throughout the Bible. And it's describing those who forsake God's law and follow man's traditions. Jeremiah chapter 9. If you don't mind turning there with me. Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 13. Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 13. You know, I have a young son. And I... Thoroughly appreciate young men. Appreciate young ladies as well. But I'm used to the, um, yes. Verse 13 says, And the Lord said, Because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, <coughs> and have not obeyed my voice, nor walked according to it, but they have walked according to the dictates of their own hearts and after Baals, which their father taught them. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will feed them this people with what? Wormwood and give them water of gall to drink. So I find that very interesting. You have the wormwood is those who are falling Baal and false gods. Here you have Lucifer coming down, hitting sources of life and truth, and they're being turned to bitterness or following false truth. Not truth anymore, it's falsehood. Is there a time that we see this happening? There is not a question at all. The great angel, hitting sources of life and truth, turning them to bitterness and a perversion of truth. The third trumpet is judgment on the medieval Roman church who cruelly treated faithful scriptural Christians. This was done by the proliferation of false doctrines instigated by God himself. Satan himself, excuse me. Ooh. Do we see this happening? Did we see this happen in history? Without a question. Those of you who are students of history, you can, can see this. I just went through a church history course. It's amazing how this took place. I'm not going to take a lot of time because this isn't a history sermon, but this was so insidious so systematic. It's mind-blowing to me how this could happen, but it did. 
And this is something that took place on the third major oppressor of God's people. By the way, the third trumpet, fourth trumpet is like unto the third. Let's just read it together as we close up. Romans, Revelation chapter 9, 8. Revelation chapter 8, starting with verse 12. And the fourth angel sounded, a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, and a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. Sun, moon, and stars, light, and day turned to night. Again, the phrase third is with throughout the whole section. All right, when you see sun, moon, and stars being discussed in the Bible, this is used over and over in connection with judgment. Over and over, sun, moon, and stars, when they're combined together, is connection with judgment. Um, let's look at a few of them, shall we? Isaiah chapter 13. Isaiah chapter 13, and we are going to look at verse 9. Isaiah chapter 13, and we will look at verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord comes. Whenever you see the phrase day of the Lord, you're speaking of judgment at the end of time. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate. He will destroy its sinners from it. You can see the judgment language being used here. It says, For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. There is a changing of the light of the sun, moon, and stars in connection with judgment. Joel, the book of Joel. Joel is one of our minor prophets. It's right before Amos. Not that that helped me much. I just happened to turn to Amos right now, and Joel's right before it. Uh, and Joel is right after Hosea. Joel chapter 2, and starting with verse 10. Joel chapter 2, starting with verse 10. If you have little subheadings in your Bible, the subheading for Joel 2 is the day of the Lord, the time of judgment. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. Again, we see these three things. It says, The Lord gives voice before his army. His camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Again, we're looking at the speaking of here, a judgment, and what three things have their light affected? Sun and moon and stars, all affected in a day of judgment. There are several other passages that talk about it. I will not turn there for sake of time, but Ezekiel chapter 32 does. Jesus himself says, right before the coming of the Son of Man, you will see the sun darken, the moon turn to blood, and the stars fall from heaven. These three are always put together in judgment scenarios. When I see these three in Revelation happening, in Revelation, the fourth trumpet, I say judgment's happening. When I saw hail and fire, instantly, I'm, I'm familiar with the Old Testament. I'm, I'm pretending I'm an old, early New Testament Christian. When I see hail and fire, I say judgment. Sun, moon, and stars, judgment. Wormwood, judgment. It, these things are screaming judgment every time it comes out because that's how it's used throughout the Old Testament prophets. This is judgment. That's what is being talked about here. So next would be What? Uh, Revelation chapter 8, and I am just, there we go. Could we transfer it just to, uh, can we go back, oh, 
It went faster than I was thinking. There we go. Uh, the next one here is light. It says the light was going to be turned. Um, what is light? There's a lot of things for light, but yes, truth, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ is considered light. Uh, if you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, in fact, let's turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and then we're going to look in John. Those are the two places we'll look at quickly here. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. Whose minds the God of this world has blinded, who did not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ should shine unto them. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Jesus' life is light. Those who believe in Jesus have light. Those who don't believe have darkness. This is another place, John chapter 12. The gospel is light. So, sun, moon, and stars, when all are combined, we're talking about judgment. Light is the gospel. And I would just add to that day, turn tonight, is the gospel not being given. Did this happen in the medieval Roman church? It did. In fact, simply put, the fourth trumpet is also a judgment in the medieval Roman church. The early Christian understanding of salvation by faith was replaced by penance-driven, works-based religion. So let's, re let's uh, because the teacher side has to make sure I'm being as clear as I can. First trumpet, judgment on the oppressors of God's people, the Jewish nation that oppressed the early Christian church. Hail and fire, judgment language. Next, I have a burning mountain thrown into the sea. The language is clearly speaking about Babylon. Babylon of their day was Rome. Just so happens to be that the next oppressor of the Christian church was the pagan Roman Empire. The next oppressor, the medieval Roman church, their doctrines became a perversion of truth. Truth was removed from them. Even the gospel the fact that we're saved by faith became salvation by works and penance-driven. These are judgments that took place on the oppressors of God's people. Now, the next two that we will look at the next time. We did four now. We're just doing two the next time just because they're a little bit bigger and more complicated. The next two are speaking about something that we talk about a lot in our world today but don't connect, and that is this. Have you familiar with Islam? Are you familiar with Islam? You've heard of Islam. Has it become a big issue in recent times in our news? Before you get too stressed, God used Islam. He did. He used it to judge the oppressors of his people. And we're going to be looking at that in our next sermon. Fascinating. Because remember, the trumpets are talking about God's judgment on the oppressors of his people throughout from John's time to the very end of time. They will all tie together by God's grace when we get there next week. All right. Summary. Judgment against Israel. Judgment against the Roman Empire. And judgment against the medieval Roman church. Uh, these are the three. If I were to give you two words today... It would beware and mercy. 
judgment and mercy. Please take note of this. If you touch God's people, judgment will come. If you hurt God's people, he will avenge his own. It has to be clear. This is clearly spelled out. In a world where sometimes we wonder if if judgment will ever be meted out, it will be. God will judge the oppressors of his people. Judgment will come. Fairness and equity will take place. God will do what is right. Remember, we looked at the souls crying out from under the altar in the fifth seal. How long, O God, until you avenge our blood? And what did the angel say? Just a little bit longer. Have patience and rest. Sometimes you and I need to rest. God will avenge. He will in his time. He will take care of his people. But there's something we cannot miss, and that is mercy. Mercy. Because there are those who have oppressed, who God has changed their hearts because they were given a chance, right? One-third. Two-thirds left over. The opportunity for repentance. God gave them that opportunity. And mercy is given. He was of the elite. The best trained guy you could find in the organization. He had trained under the master himself, Gamaliel. When he was asked to do something, he did it, and he did it with every ounce of his body. He was wholly dedicated to what he believed. And that was, I must exterminate this hated group called Christians. I must get rid of them. Christians must die. I must get rid of them no matter what because they are a falsehood. They are lifting up someone called Jesus and Jesus was a false prophet. Would you want to see this oppressor die? You know too much because I used the word Gamaliel. But if I hadn't used the word Gamaliel, would you say, get rid of him? Wipe him out. He's hurting God's people. We don't need him. But God knew that this oppressor had a heart inside his iron shell. God knew it. And so God spoke to him. He knocked him off, as they say, his high horse laid him down on the ground. And my father tells me this. I remember hearing a lot when I was a kid. Sometimes the only place you're looking up is when you're laying on your back. And so here is Paul. He's laying on his back, knocked off his horse. He is on his way to persecute God's people. And God comes down and speaks to him. And God takes an oppressor and makes him one of the greatest theologians this world has ever known. Not just that. Someone who saw the the, the missing elements in the theology and put them together in a way that salvation by faith became the source of life for billions of people. God took an oppressor and turned him into a light giver. Today, I want you to note two things. God will defend his people. 
But God also has mercy because he's going to make oppressors his people too if he can. What a message is hidden here in Revelation chapter 8. Who would have thought that one-third meant so much? Despise not small things, yes? May God give us grace to say, God, I want to be a light giver. I don't want to be among the oppressors. And if I am, change me. Is that right? Judgment is coming. But so is mercy. How many of you say, praise God for the mercy he's given? I want to take advantage of that mercy. Amen? Amen. Can we pray together? Father in heaven, I thank you that as we walk through history, which is sometimes um, complicated, we've been reminded once again that there's a God in heaven who is merciful, who will avenge his people, but who is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Father, I pray you draw close to us. And as we wait for your coming, may we wait patiently. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.